And now our drummer and also our preacher, Dr. Greg Boyd. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm Greg. I, I drum here once in a while. It's my main job. Then when they can't find anyone to preach, they grab me. So that's how this goes. Hope you're having a great day. I, I woke up this morning about four, so I got about three hours sleep. But I had uh, an essay on my mind. Uh, someone wanted me to write on from a Renew blog that I, I have a, a thing on Syria and kind of weighing in on that whole Syria crisis that's going on over there. So I was writing and really got into it and, and got carried away. So I also realized I was running late. Uh, so I'm hurrying to get out the door to get here to band practice. Forgot my ADD meds. This is wonderful. And uh, <laughs> so the last message was kind of all over the place. I'm going to try to stick to my notes this time. Uh, entertaining, but just not. And it was, what's really ironic is I'm, I'm talking on, on the present, staying present, staying awake. Uh, so... The only way I can manage is if I'm really staying awake uh, in the presence because it occupies your attention so I can stay on focus here, hopefully a little bit, but be praying for me. Uh, and then we, the way the summer's panned out, we just are right now in a situation where because of random things that happened with uh, two daughters and, and uh, other relatives, we've got, we've got a house now, it's, it's Boyd's Motel. We've got uh, three other families living with us, uh, five other adults, seven other kids. It's chaos, it's a zoo, it's wonderful, it's also draining. And so combine uh, kid fatigue with uh, three hours sleep and no ADD medication, you're in for a treat today, let me tell you. God's going to move. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, I want to say a word about this Heroes Gate thing, because this is really important. Uh, all the studies show, and this just makes sense, that when folks are shopping around for church, and they tend to do that more in the fall than other times, uh, young families have as their highest priority uh, kids' care, as you'd expect. Uh, Will this be a, a body of people uh, that uh, ministers to our kids? Our kids welcome here. Uh, when they come in, this just breaks my heart. Uh, and see, we want to minister as many people as possible, influence as many people as possible. Uh, I feel like God's really given us a message that makes a difference. And it breaks my heart when young families come and they bring their children to the children's church and we've got to turn them away because there's not enough people uh, to care for the kids. It's not quite the first impression you want to make. Uh, and, and so this is about ministering to the kids. It's also about giving, uh, creating a space for the parents to be influenced by the overall ministry here. And so if this is your spiritual body, I want to really encourage you to pray, seriously pray about the possibility that God would want to use you uh, in the children's ministry, okay? It is hugely important for a lot of different reasons. Um, thanks to Shauna, uh, who gave a marvelous message last week. Isn't she a doll? She's just, uh, she's, she's just a bomb. She's just great. Uh, I feel so blessed that, uh, that Scott and Shauna have been called back here to Minnesota. As some of you know, they were here for a while ago and then went back to Texas where they came from, but uh, then God led them back here and, and uh, you know, God's calling them out of the darkness into the light, this marvelous God place up here. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. We love Texas, but uh, Minnesota's better. That's all I'm saying. That's all there is. That's another thing I don't do well when I don't have ADD meds is that I don't censor good enough. <laughs> so I'm not responsible for what I say today. But it was great. So we're talking about prayer. Um, you know, we, we, this series we've had on prayer, it's really tried to highlight that God's given us, Abba's kids, a unique authority to change the world through the power of prayer. He sets aside a reservoir of power, as it were, um, and uh, that kingdom power will only be activated if his people, his bride, who he's training to co-rule with him, 
uh, in the coming kingdom. Uh, and so he, this reservoir will only be accessed when we agree with him in prayer that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a marvelous privilege and responsibility that we have. Things hang in the balance. Now, prayer isn't magic. That is to say, it doesn't just collapse all the other factors that, that influence what comes to pass. People's decisions and angelic decisions and all that. Which is why we can't often see the correlation between our prayer and the difference it makes. We just take it at God's word. that He says that prayer is powerful and effective. And so we just believe that prayer is powerful and effective. It's, it, you leave a situation more kingdomized than it otherwise would have been. Whether you can see that difference or not. But when we do see the difference, when we can correlate the prayer and the outcome, it's important that we tell people about it. It's important that we brag on God. Uh, it, 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 we bring God the glory to use Christianese. We want to glorify God. Well, that's just bragging on our Abba Father. And so I, I'm going to try to, uh, on occasion, introduce testimonies. A lot of stuff happens here that you don't hear about. Uh, and it's, that's on me. It's important to, to be uh, giving testimonies about things that God has done. So I, I've asked the prayer teams to share a little bit. Before I get in the message here, I want to just give you a few things that have happened here uh, recently uh, in the prayer ministry that uh, goes on up here. And there's other stuff happening uh, in small groups and stuff as well. And, and write it in. Tell us about it because we want to be able to brag on God about this. Uh, there's a guy who uh, came for prayer several weeks ago. He'd been for several months out of work. He was getting desperate. Uh, it was just hitting dead end after a dead end. They prayed, and one of the people praying for him, he, he reports, had said, specified that they're praying for a prayer, for a, uh, an answer to this prayer, a job this week. Uh, so they, one week. By the time they come back next Sunday, uh, they're praying this person would have a job. He shows up the next Sunday, and not only did he have a job, he had the ideal job. It was just the dream job. So praise God. Amen. Yes, there's another couple who came forward. They both were out of work, had been out of work several months. Um, and they prayed that they would get some employment. Um, over the next several weeks, they received multiple offers as to the point where they had to come back about two months later and get prayer to help discern which of these offers they should take. Uh, God over-answered their prayer. He does that sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, Paul, Paul said that he's able to do exceedingly more than we ever think of asking, than we can ever imagine. He over-answers prayer sometimes. Love when that happens. Uh, a man wrote and reported that he'd been delivered from chronic anxiety and depression that he'd been struggling with. And there's a lady who came forward and prayed for her cousin. Uh, her cousin had this fast-growing brain tumor, malignant brain tumor. And um, so she was scheduled to be operated on in, uh, in like three weeks from the time this person was getting prayer for their cousin. And, and this lady was, was stressed out and her cousin was very stressed out. And one of the things that immediately happened was that they both had a sense of peace about it after this prayer. Then when they went in to operate on her, uh, the doctors reported that there, it had been, quote unquote, uh, miraculously contained in that it hadn't grown uh, at all since the last time they checked on the growth of this thing. And that enabled them to get the whole tumor, and she's had a complete recovery. So praise God. Amen. Yes, glory. See, giving testimonies like that, it builds faith. We need to be reminded that you know, prayer makes a difference. And I encourage us, on the weekends, well, here we have these, our prayer ministers here. Take advantage of that. Two of these four people that I just reported on had said that they had never gone forward for prayer before because they just felt awkward or felt unusual or whatever. And it took a step of courage and a step of faith for them to do that. 
But, you know, there's a number of times in the Bible where God says, test me. Take me at my word. Test me. Yeah, he challenges us to step out and, and uh, to taste and see that the Lord is good. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Not just on the weekends, other times as well. But we need to be a people who are praying for one another, right? This is, this is what the kingdom is all about. So we've been talking about, the kind of prayer we've been talking about so far has always been about specific prayers, a time of prayer where we, where we intercede for others. Or we just commun- commune with God. But it's a set-apart time. And we all need that set-apart time. It's vitally important. Just like a marriage, you're going to have time where you're together without the kids and where you just pay attention to one another. So also with our relationship with Christ, we need, that, we need individual time on a regular basis where we're talking to Abba Father. But there's another kind of prayer that I want to be talking about today. In some ways, it's even more foundational than the separate kind of prayer. It's the kind of prayer that Paul is getting at when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray without ceasing. The word there in Greek, it means to do something nonstop or continual. Now, how on earth do you pray continually? How do you pray in a nonstop way? Prayer is just talking to God. And so what we're talking about is, how do you live your life in a way where you're always talking to God? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, So the title of this message is uh, Living in Communication. Living in Communication. Making our life a sustained act of communication with Abba Father. so much hangs on this. It's very challenging, and yet it is the challenge that all of us face. We're to grow to be people who pray without ceasing. It may sound impossible, but hang in there. You'll, 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 it's not impossible. You'll see. Um, and I'll warn you that the first half or more of this message won't seem like I'm talking about prayer. Uh, but don't write it off as just an ADD moment. Uh, hang in there, because it really, it, it, you'll see, it is about prayer. I just got to set it up in a certain way, all right? So on that note, pray with me. Though you probably already were praying, because you pray with nonstop. Right? So, Abba Father, we now just ask that you and your spirit come. Uh, you have been here in the worship. We thank you for that, but we're praying for a double portion. Now, as the word goes forward, everyone in this auditorium, everyone listening through podcasts, television, and other ways, we pray, God, that you hit us. Hit us, land on us, Lord, with this word that can fundamentally alter the way we do our internal life, the way we think, the way we we process information. God, it affects everything. Wake us up, God, from our slumber and our fleshy mindset, our, our, our worldly way of thinking, and transform us to be a people, God, who live in conversation with you. Nonstop. Holy Spirit, show us that through the power of your spirit, it is possible. Wake us up in Jesus' name and all of God's kingdom people said, Amen. 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 All right, as I'm talking, just be aware that we are in the presence of God right now. And try to stay aware of that. And I want to talk, start with a little theology, because we like theology around here. Uh, theologians like to throw around a word. It's, it's the word omnipresence. Uh, many of you have heard this word before. Omni means All. And so omnipresence is a way of referring to the truth that God is everywhere. God's in all places. You can't go anywhere where you're not going to find God. God's omnipresence. Now theologians debate about what this means and what it entails. Because if you took it too literally and pressed it too far, you come to the realization that there wouldn't be any space for anything else to exist. I mean, if God literally occupied every centimeter of space then there'd be no space for anything other than God to exist. Everything you see would be just a, a variation of God. That's called pantheism, and you don't want to go there. 
So theologians debate, what does it mean to say God is omnipresent, and yet he creates a reality other than himself, a non-divine cosmos. There must be space for that. So we debate that. But whatever else it means, it means at least this. God is present everywhere, at least in the sense that he is sustaining everything in existence. Scripture says he holds all things together by the power of his word. He is right now holding you in existence. If he ever stopped holding you in existence, you'd disappear. So he's sustaining you. So we might call this God's sustaining presence. His omnipresence is his sustaining presence. All right? But Scripture also speaks, and we often speak, in ways where it doesn't sound like God is equally in all places at the same time. I just, in my prayer, I said, Lord, thank you for being here uh, in the worship uh, service. We're praying for a double portion in the message. Well, that presupposes that God is more, in some sense, more some places than in other places. As Scripture talks this way about being filled with the Spirit, the temple was filled with the, with the glory of God. God comes down, God goes up, God withdraws, God comes to. God, and, and, and there's this language that sounds like God is, in some sense, spatialized. He's, he's some places more than he has other places. He's everywhere in terms of sustaining everything, because if he ever stopped being there, things would disappear. But in a different sense, the quality sense, he's more some places than others. We can refer to this as God's holy presence or, or God's personal presence. It's, it's the presence that reveals his glory, right? That this is, that this is God himself, not just in a sustaining activity, but God's heart, God's glory. God's, it's his personal presence because in this sense, God only shows up where he's, people have a personal relationship with him. Uh, he, he only shows up where he's invited. He sustains you whether you invite him to or not. But his glory, his, his holy presence, only shows up to the degree that people invite him, welcome him to be there. Uh, this presence of God is what's held out throughout the whole Bible as the highest, the, the, the highest uh, aspiration of the human heart. To be in the presence of God, you find it's expressed in a lot of different ways. But it is the fulfillment of all that we hunger for. To be in the presence of God is life itself. To be in the presence of God is, is to be uh, in, in, in the presence of uh, the one who fulfills every longing of our heart. Uh, to, to feed the hungry soul and to uh, give water to the thirsty soul. To be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of joy itself, life itself, beauty itself, goodness itself. It's what we long for. And it's what we were created for. We're supposed to dwell in the presence of God. God's goal was for the whole creation to display his glory. Not just sustaining it, but to reflect him. And God's goal from the start was to have all human beings dwelling in his holy presence, his personal presence, where he's sharing himself with them as they share themselves with him. And he would dwell in us and we would dwell in him, thereby replicating the beautiful unity of the triune God. That's God's goal from the start, and it's still God's goal. Now here's the thing. Because it's his personal presence, uh, you can push God away in this sense. In fact, sin is always an act of pushing God away. It's breaking relationship with God, or as the Bible would express it, breaking covenant with God. And so all sin puts up an obstacle between us and God's holy presence. It blocks us from God's holy presence. So in the early chapters of the Bible, uh, many of you know this, uh, Eden is really the place where God dwells with human beings. It's the sacred space. Adam and Eve hang out with God, and they walk, take a walk with God in the cool of the day, it says. And it's just a way of expressing how they were friends with God. They, were, they, they just enjoyed one another, and that's how it was supposed to be. But then Adam and Eve rebel. And because of that, uh, the Bible says that they're banished from the garden. 
This is that famous painting, Banishment from, from Eden. And we gave you the version that has the fig leaves covering up because the original version didn't. Uh, and someone came and painted over them and we can be thankful for that. But this is Adam and Eve now being banished from God's presence. And when that happens, folks, here's the thing. Something is introduced into the creation that never was supposed to be in the creation. And that is now a distinction is made between a place where God's holy presence dwells and a place where God's holy presence doesn't dwell. There was never supposed to be a space like that. Um, but now because of sin, there is. Uh, often people express this in terms of uh, the difference between the sacred, a sacred place, and the profane place or the secular place. The profane or secular place is simply uh, living without God, where you're apart from God's holy presence. You're, you're alienated from the life and the love and, and the, the source of peace that is God. Uh, this famous scholar of religion, Marcel Eliada. Some of you, I think, have probably heard about him. He wrote this book called The Sacred and the Profane. And it's all on this. And what he shows in this book is that religions throughout history have been premised on this distinction between the sacred and the profane. It's like all human beings have an awareness on some level. They have an awareness that life as it's lived right now in this secular world, in this desert world, Desert in the Bible is often a metaphor for the secular world, this godless world. It's, it's a wilderness. And so in this desert world, people have, on some level, an awareness that something's wrong. Everyone senses this in some way, that in this godless environment we find ourselves in, it feels empty to us. It feels like something's missing, something's lacking. There's a sense of futility and, and even despair that characterizes life in this desert world. People are hungry. And what religions are about, Marcel Eliada shows, is that they express this longing of the heart where people try to bridge the profane world to the sacred world. There's an awareness. We remember there's a part of us that, that knows that we belong someplace else where we'd be at home. Whether they name it the presence of God or not, we know that that's what they're, they're longing for, to be in the God's presence. And so humans try to devise ways of bridging from our secular world to the sacred world. It's like the Tower of Babel, where these guys think there's a sense they know God's up there somehow, and they want to get up there by their own efforts, so they build this giant tower. That's, that's the essence of all religion. The Bible really is the opposite of that. The Bible is an anti-religious book, if you read it right. Because the Bible, it's not a story about human beings trying to get to God. It's a story of God trying to get to human beings. It's not about us trying to get up there. It's about God coming down here. It's not about us trying to get out of our secular world and find the sacred world. It's a story of God in his blessed sacred world coming down into our secular world to transform this desert back into Eden and, and make it the world that he initially planned on it being and will someday, in fact, be. Religion is predicated on this distinction. And so we, we find the, the whole Bible story is a, a, a story of God pursuing us in our desert, in the secular world. You find this first to begin to be uh, lived out in Exodus. Uh, God calls the children of Israel out of Egypt and then takes them through the wilderness. Wilderness being this God-forsaken secular world. But in the midst of that wilderness experience, he tells Moses to build a tabernacle. He gives them real detailed instructions. And you can see the importance of this tabernacle, but how much space is given to it. And we have chapters and chapters where God gives detailed instruction about building this tabernacle. It's filled with a lot of incredible symbolism. We can't get into it right now, but there's, everything about it is symbolic in, in really profound ways. But what we need to know is this. The main thing that that tabernacle was, it was called the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting. 
Because this is where people would meet God. Not just in a sustaining way, but, but in his personal presence, in his holy presence. So in the midst of this desert, there's an oasis, as it were. There, there's a kind of an Eden, a restoration of Eden, that the Israelites would take with them when they're wandering through the wilderness. And this they identified as the place where God dwelt. And there's all sorts of symbolism around that, reminding them that this is the dwelling place of God. Now later on, they get into the, the promised land, and eventually God has Solomon build him a more permanent dwelling place. This is Solomon's temple, and it was grand, and it was glorious. It had the same symbolism as the tabernacle, but uh, it was a much grander sort of thing, trying to capture the glory of God in, in this opulent building. Uh, this was not just a tent of meeting. This is referred to as the house of God. And it really is the center of the Israelites' faith from then on. Their faith is, is, is around that, that temple. That temple was their assurance that God was their God, because they had God's house. Um, and that however, however uh, terrible things might be around them, they had the, the, the confidence that God was present with them was, was anchored in that temple. So you find hundreds of verses in the Old Testament just celebrating the temple and the glory of God in the temple and all of that. I read one several weeks ago, uh, Psalms 27, where the psalmist says, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is the only thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. The point I made several weeks ago was about that gazing was not a physical gazing, but a spiritual gazing in what we would today call our imagination. The point I want to make today, however, is this. The psalmist is expressing the longing of the human heart. Uh, We want to, there's a part of us that wants to be in the presence of God in an unbroken, sustained way all the days of my life. Uh, It wasn't fulfilled in the Old Testament. It couldn't be fulfilled in the Old Testament because the the presence was associated with the building. But we're going to see now that it is fulfilled in the New Testament because the presence is no longer limited to a building. Um, John, in the New Testament, he describes God coming into the world in, in the form of Jesus Christ. The way he describes it, it's clear he's got this temple, tabernacle imagery in mind. He's thinking Solomon's temple and the tabernacle. What he says, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Because Jesus is the embodiment of God, we see the glory of God. That's the holy presence of God, the personal presence of God. We see glory and truth as the one, the one and only word, expression of, 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 of the Father. The word he uses here, skeneao, it literally means to tabernacle. In fact, in Young's literal transla- translation, he translates it that way. He goes, the, the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. So folks, what... What John is saying here is basically this. What they had a little glimpse of in the Old Testament with that tabernacle and that temple, well, now he's here in person. Uh, God God himself has come down to earth and made his permanent dwelling with us. He's tabernacling here among us. He's, he's He's entered our desert, fallen, sacred, screwed up world, and he's taken up residency in a permanent way as one of us. He's not just putting on a tent like, like he was wearing a human suit. No, he became a human being. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and so Jesus is the tabernacling of God. God himself is here. That's why one of the names for Jesus in the New Testament is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He's Emmanuel. God himself is with us. Paul puts it like this. Paul says, and he's straining language to, to do this. Are you present? Stay awake. God's in this place. All right, that makes it a very important moment. Stay awake to God's presence. For in Christ, all, 
Pas is the word. Not just some, but all of the fullness. Pleroma is the word. It means not just part or, or an aspect. All of the, the deity, theotes, everything that makes God God. That's what that word means. All the fullness of everything that makes God God lives in bodily form in Jesus Christ. You couldn't say it more powerfully than that. Every, all of everything that makes God God dwelt in Jesus Christ. God take, takes on this human form, and it's a permanent form. He has it after the resurrection. Uh, we'll see it in heaven. Uh, he dwells among us. The fullness of God dwells there. Don't let anybody ever try to convince you that Jesus is some kind of semi-God or some archangel or some guru or some prophet or ascended master or any of that kind of stuff. Hogwash. Uh, in the New Testament, folks, he is God with a capital G. Paul says he's God over all, blessed forever. Romans 9. He's our great God and Savior. Titus 2.13. Uh, he, he, he's, he's God with a capital G, creator with a capital C. He's Lord with a capital L because he's king of all kings and Lord of all lords. He's called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the, the, the judge of the world, the ruler of the world, the creator of the cosmos. Praise God. It's all there in him. Everything that makes God God is right there. We're not talking about some semi-being, semi-God. No, this is God himself. When we say son of God, we're not saying something different from God. It's just God dwelling in the, in, in, in the human form. God in a distinct way. Now, here's why that's important. A lot of reasons why that's important, but here's one of the reasons why. Because, see, when the New Testament describes what happens to us when we surrender our life to Christ, it uses this language of being in Christ. When we surrender to Christ, we are put into Christ. In some real, metaphysical, ontological sense, this isn't poetry here, metaphysically, our address changes. When we surrender to Jesus... The New Testament says stuff like this, that we're saved in Christ, put into into him. We're we're, we're cleansed in Christ. We're sanctified in Christ. We're redeemed in Christ. Um, we're, we're, We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're predestined to be adopted as children in Christ. We're chosen in Christ. We're seated in Christ, far above all principalities and powers. Everything that happens to us in the gospel happens in Christ because we're put in Christ. Now, if Christ is the embodiment of everything that makes God God, that means we're put into the center of everything that makes God God. That's good stuff. We're put, you talk about the presence of God, we are placed, our location changes. You know, the realtors always say it's about location, location, location. Well, I got to sell you a good location here this morning. You get to be put into the presence of God, the holy presence of God, the thing that you've longed for all your life. You are now, not later on, now, the moment you surrender, you're put into the presence of God, the holy personal presence of God. Right smack dab in the one who is the embodiment of all the fullness of of Theotes, all the fullness of deity. That's your address. That's your location. Wherever you go, that is true about you. You are in Christ. Not only that, but it even gets better because the New Testament tells us that when we surrender to Christ, not only do we get put into Christ, but Christ gets put into us. Not only do we get put into God, but God gets put into us. That's why the Bible calls us the temple of God, calls us that individually and collectively. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Your body, he's talking to these people because uh, they were acting like Corinthians acted back then. It was known as a very licentious city. They were going to prostitutes, whatever. They didn't even think anything of it. And, and Paul is saying, don't do that. <laughs> because among other things, your body is a temple of the, the, the Holy Spirit. You've got God in you. 
Not just in a sustaining sense. Everyone has that. But you've got God in you in in the personal Holy sense, the Holy Spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit. So don't desecrate the Holy Spirit by desecrating his temple. You are that temple. Wherever you go, you're a walking, talking Solomon's temple. Praise God. You're decked out in radiance because God dwells in you. And then we together are are the temple of God. Yes. Uh, Paul says that that you yourselves, he's talking of the plural here. You yourselves are the temple, and God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Since we each are a temple of the Holy Spirit, we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God dwells in our midst. And folks, see, if we get this, if we get this truth that when you surrender, you put into God, and God is put into you, then you'll see that it means that this secular, sacred distinction no longer has any meaning to us, has no meaning. This idea of a profane place versus a sacred place or a a sacred moment versus a secular moment, it can have no meaning to the disciple of Jesus who knows who they are, who knows where they are, uh, who knows where they dwell and they know who dwells in them. Because see, wherever you go, you are in the presence of God and God's presence is in you. And that makes it a sacred place and a sacred moment. The distinction between the sacred and the profane It's just rendered, it's abolished in Christ. It's done away with. That's why religion is abolished in Christ. Because the very thing that religion is predicated on is done away with. You are in God and God is in you. And that's why Paul says, behold, all things are new. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. It's all new. There's no place you're going to go that's a profane place because you just showed up and you are in God and God is in you. You see, you're in the presence of God all the time. Now that just conflicts with religion. And some of us who come from religious backgrounds are going to have a hard time getting our heads around this because you've been conditioned in a different way. I, when I grew up, uh, I had, wasn't a religious family, but on Sundays we were. And Wednesday night we had prayer so that we were on Wednesday nights. Otherwise we were just a warfare house. But uh, man, everything was based on this secular sacred distinction. Everything. You know, we had to go to a, the house of God. The house of God was the church. And, and, and so because you're going to a special sacred house, you gotta dress up a certain way and you gotta act a certain way and it's all very unnatural, but you know, that's what you do. You gotta respect the house. And, and then there's, there's the special religious objects that are different than other religious objects. And you gotta kiss the Bible or kiss the cross or whatever. And they got sacred water that's different than regular water and sacred bread that's different than regular bread. And they got sacred days. Sunday's more holy than the rest of the days. And they have sacred seasons where, you know, Christmas is more holy than the rest of the year or something. And they got sacred people where the priests and the saints are, are farther up there than the rest of us. It's all based on the sacred, secular distinction. But I'm here to tell you, folks, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then, then that, that distinction has got no meaning. You don't go someplace to find God. You're in God all the time. And God is in you all the time. Amen. It's, it, we don't go to church. We are the church. We don't go to the temple. We are the temple. We don't go to the presence of God. We are the presence of God. We don't wait for some sacred moment to happen. Every moment is sacred because every moment you are in God and God is in you and that makes it sacred. It's blessed. You see, the only thing that can be secular to us is our forgetting that nothing is secular. <laughs> the only thing that can be secular is our awareness that forgets that nothing is secular. See, that's a secular thought. It's an untrue thought. Because you're always in his presence, and his presence is always in you. Uh, Folks, this reframes everything. It reframes everything. But see, we're conditioned. We're conditioned so strongly by the secular world. Our mindset 
is inherently atheistic. We naturally push God out of our awareness. It's just like if you're around somebody who nags you all the time or whatever, you learn to push them out of your awareness. You don't even hear them anymore. Or, or parents do that with their kids, or kids do that with their parents, especially when they're teenagers. You don't even hear them anymore. You just block them. Well, we do that with God all the time. That's why most people live, even believers, disciples, live 99%, maybe more, 99.9% of our waking moments, we're not aware of God, we're not thinking about God, and we're not talking to God. We live and experience the world as functional atheists. We're we're saved, and and God still dwells in us, it's all true, but we don't benefit from it because we're not aware of it, we're not yielded to it. We, we take breaks from our secular experience to, to visit Jesus and when we go on church on Sunday morning and then we remember when we pray and, and maybe when we do a ministry. But our ordinary, quote-unquote, ordinary time, well, God's excluded from our awareness. We have the same consciousness that an atheist would have. You see, and the task of the disciple, therefore, has got to be to be moving in this direction where I tweeted this yesterday when I was preparing this message and praying about it. The task of the disciple has got to be to find, to wake up to the sacred in each and every quote-unquote ordinary moment. In other words, our ordinary is not secular but sacred. And so we wake up and, and, and remember in every moment of our life that we're in the presence of God, and then we just surrender to Him. We just live a life that's yielded to Him as we're aware of Him. Now, this may sound like I'm talking about some super spiritual, you know, ambition that you know, only the great saints can possibly aspire towards. But actually, this is, this is the task of every believer. All of us are called to this. It really is what it means. It's just what it means to say you're surrendered to Jesus Christ. But we always say this, that you have to surrender your life to Christ. But think about this. How do you surrender your life to Christ? The only life you have is the one you're living this nanosecond. The past is gone. The future isn't here yet. This is the only thing that's real. Your life is nothing but a series of present moments strung together. So you can't surrender your life in the abstract, do it once and then forget about it. No, surrendering your life means you surrender this moment, and now this moment, and now this moment. When we surrender our life to Christ initially, we're simply making a pledge. We're pledging to surrender our life. But that pledge wasn't the surrender of our life. That was the promise that we were going to surrender our life. The real question is, is have we done that? Are we doing it now? Because we have no other life to surrender to him other than the one that we are living right now. See what I'm saying? This is why Jesus says, abide in me. I love this verse. Abide in me, and you shall bear much fruit. Or remain in me, and I will remain in you. We're in him, and he's in us. But he says, remain there. Because if you're separated from me, you can't bear any fruit. Uh, the, the word there is meno. It, it's the opposite of visiting. So he's saying, don't visit me, all right? Abide in me. Live there. Make me your permanent address, and I'll make you my permanent address. And then you're going to bear much fruit. The word there is meno. Some of you know that we're, we're praying about discussing possibly becoming Mennonites because our theology is Anabaptist, and that's one of the traditions that has this Anabaptist theology. And we don't know what, what's going to happen with that. But look at they got their name from Menno Simons. He was a great Anabaptist teacher in the, in the 16th century. Great guy. But whether we join that denomination or not, we ought to be aspiring to be Mennonites anyways. Uh, in a more profound sense, not after a guy's name, but we should be striving to be remainers or abiders, dwellers. Menno, abide in me. I want to aspire to be a Mennonite 
One who practices staying in, the, uh, in Jesus Christ. But that means staying awake to him, surrendered to him, living in him, uh, including him in our awareness moment by moment. And this, folks, is what Paul's getting at when he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing, nonstop, continual. Frank Laubach is a, a guy who wrote um, a lot on, on this. This is an exercise that's called practicing the presence. Uh, I wrote a book on this called Present Perfect, if you want to go deeper with this. Present Perfect. It's, I just take Brother Lawrence and Frank Laubach and, I, I, and several others, and I just kind of flesh out their thinking on stuff. Um, but Frank Laubach saw this. He, with regard to 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, The only way you can pray without ceasing is if you make your very thought a prayer. If you include God in on your thought process. So he says this, the, 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 the normal person... The normal person in the desert world whose thinking is conditioned by desert thinking, um, they, for them, thought is a two-way conversation. Think about it. When, when you think, part of you is talking and part of you is listening. And then, they, they, then you switch roles and you argue with yourself. You know, then the other part's talking, the other one's listening. And they go, shut up. No, I told you. So that's what thinking is. Think about it. See, you just talk to yourself. So it's a two-way conversation. We get into our head. We're just talking to ourselves. Frank Lovac says, for the disciple who abides in Jesus, thought should be a three-way conversation. We just learn to include God in on our thought process. He's there anyways, so we might as well open up to him. And so as we're thinking, whatever you're thinking about, just be aware that God is there and, and, and process out loud with him. And you'll find in times, sometimes you'll have something to say about stuff. And, and, and you'll, 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 you might find yourself going in a different direction. He'll lead you and guide you this way, you see. But we need to include Jesus on even the most trivial things, whatever you're thinking about. It's not about whether it's trivial or not, because it's all a sacred moment, because God is there, and you are in Him, and He is in you. You're doing the groceries. It can be a sacred moment. Washing the dishes can be a sacred moment. Driving the car, uh, giving the kids a bath, mowing the lawn. It, 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 you, you can be in, in a hellhole on this planet, in the middle of a war zone, and it can be sacred because you're in Christ and Christ is in you, and it can use you to bring the kingdom into that environment. Everything, every moment, every place, every time, every person is sanctified by you being there. And it's got nothing to do with how holy you are or any of that. It has to do with your relationship with him and being surrendered. And see, this, folks, this changes everything. It just it reframes life. It reframes the way you do life. You'll find that you'll buy, you, you bear fruit when you, when you practice this. People wonder sometimes, how come there's no growth? I don't see any change. But see, if you're living 99.9% of your waking moments without thinking about God, talking to God, interacting with God, well, then how are you going to bear fruit? If the Spirit of God is in you. But see, God is, doesn't force himself on us. He, he shows up when we welcome him, when we allow him. When we surrender, the Spirit produces fruit. That's why it's called fruit of the Spirit. We try to crank it out fruit of our own self-effort and call it fruit of the Spirit, but it's very different. Um, fruit of the Spirit happens only when we yield to him. But that, that you can only do one moment at a time. You yield now and you yield now. You find you bear much fruit. This is also where God can begin to use you. Uh, because as you're listening to God, as you're walking in his presence, now he can say, hey, Greg, go over there. Stop your plans. I knew you were going to do this, but notice that person over there. I think they need a conversation. Uh, why don't you share this? Well, there's a lady who needs help here. And because you're awake, you can be used. Now you can function like the body of Christ, which is what we're called to be. The body of Christ. Your body only works to the degree that it's connected to your head. Have you noticed that? Uh, and and it, it, what happens when part of your body falls asleep? It doesn't work very well. 
You get up and you walk like a drunk because your foot, you know, won't, won't, won't obey your head. Foot, I said walk. I can't, I'm asleep. Got that tingly weird feeling. Well, see, when we're, when we're doing life in the secular world as though we're functional atheists and we're 100%, 100% occupied with our own thoughts and our own agendas and our own plans, being Lord of our own life, God can't get a word in edgewise. And so we're part of the body that's fallen asleep. And how many opportunities do we miss because we're just not listening? Stay awake, folks. Stay awake. This is in the presence of God. Uh, this is, I think, at the foundation of every issue that we struggle with. It's because we don't abide in Him. We live in, in the secular world. Let me give you three quick tips here, really quick as, as we're bringing this to a close. Uh, one, number one, I find this to be very helpful, but imagine Jesus as your invisible friend. Now that sounds like child's play, I know. And that's why we dismiss it. Oh, that, that, that's what you do when you do make-believe. But as I said several weeks ago, the imagination can be used to take you away from reality when we go into fantasy. But it's given to us by God as a gift to bring us closer to reality, to access us to reality. And I've got very good, intelligent reasons for believing that Jesus is, in fact, always with me. Right now, he's here and here and here and here. I'm in him. And so if I get my, my imagination to imagine that, I'm just imagining a reality I otherwise wouldn't be accessing. And man, does that make a difference if you just imagine Jesus there. Uh, while you're driving, whatever you're doing, he's always there. And now you can talk to him, and sometimes you'll find he talks back. And we're not talking fantasy here. We're talking reality, folks. Um, and so imagine wherever you do, whatever whatever's happening, Jesus is there with you. Uh, invite him. I, I know folks who sometimes it helps to make it real concrete where they actually pretend like they're holding his hand. They're not pretending. They actually are. Um, he's invisible, but they go for walks and they have, it makes them more concrete or they, they, they leave a chair open when they have dinner and they invite Jesus to be there. Um, you know, whatever helps us envision this, uh, it helps us stay awake. Secondly, uh, experiment with making your thoughts a three-way conversation. Now, we're, we're addicted to doing it as a two-way conversation. Um, but Jesus is always there and he wants to be a part of everything in your life. Invite him in. Just as you th- carve out a moment, start this way. Carve out a moment uh, where you're doing a mindless activity. It works best that way. Like jogging or, or doing the dishes or something where you don't have to think very hard about stuff. Later on, as you get to be an expert, you can ch- do more challenging moments. But start with mindless activity and then see how long you can go thinking in a three way thing as, as opposed to a two way thing. You, you just think, but, but you're aware that God's right there. And, and you're, you're processing out loud in front of him. And sometimes you might sense that he's weighing in on the conversation. But see how long you can go like that, and then try to expand that length of time. And the final thing I'll just say is this. We all need reminders, and we all need community. I promise you that I and you will forget that we're in the presence of God uh, before we leave this auditorium. You will. I, I, we're, 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 we're so used to just... Having an atheist consciousness. This is, it can only be done by the power of the Spirit, and even then it takes incredible intentionality to change this. But we need reminders. So whatever it takes to remind you of this. Post-it notes, uh, people use uh, bracelets sometimes. And I encourage you, if it's possible, to find somebody else who aspires to do this, uh, a friend, and, and remind one another, either through phone calls, emails, or uh, get on a, 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 a Twitter account, and you can be texting each other. Well, whatever it takes, but we need reminders, because we will forget. I've been practicing this for over 20 years, 
And I'll go good for a couple of days where I feel like I'm you know, in the presence a good deal, including God in my thoughts. And then, man, I'll, 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 at the end of a day, I'll look back and I'll, I'll realize the whole day was desert day. I forgot the whole day. Uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't help when I have ADD. You ADD folks, it's more challenging. But actually, it helps with ADD. It does. I, I got through this message today because I tried to stay awake to God's presence. I, I had, for, yes, it's, um, after the last message, last service, a guy came up here and goes, you have ADD, don't you? <laughs> you think? But we were, I was talking about how, you know, staying aware of God's presence helps you stay anchored. It doesn't take you away from the situation. It helps you attend more closely. Try it. it, it it's, it's not a distraction. It helps you, uh, just including a little bit of that, leave a little bit of space in your consciousness for the awareness of God. And it helps you be more present with everything else you do, whether it's reading or talking to somebody or whatever. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and that is the most important fact of every moment, of every place. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Stay awake. I'm going to close in prayer that the Spirit will seal this message on our heart. Uh, Could I ask the prayer teams to come up here? And I encourage you, if you have a need, whatever it may be, take advantage of this. Test and see. Uh, Take God at His word, and um, um, let Him prove Himself in your life. Would you stand? Abba, Father, I, God, I just thank you for the outrageous beauty of your uh, plan here where you have given us more than we could ever imagine. You've placed us in Christ and placed Christ in us, and that is the fact that changes everything. I pray, God, that we will stay awake to this. Holy Spirit, will you be reminding us whatever else we're doing it's not as important as the fact that we're in you and you are in us. So help us to remember that simple fact in this moment and the next moment and throughout the day. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Go out and love on the world. Stay awake.